KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. I'm Michael Krasny. The Supreme Court today ruled that gay and transgender people are protected from workplace discrimination under the 1964 Civil Rights Act. We'll discuss the 6-3 ruling, a major victory for LGBT rights. Then at 9.30, we discuss how the coronavirus pandemic is playing out in California prisons. Despite efforts to provide protective equipment and implement safety guidelines, the virus continues to spread, making inmates fear for their health and lives. That's all next on Forum. Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. In a 6-3 decision today, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that gay and transgender workers are protected under the Civil Rights Act. Justice Neil Gorsuch wrote the majority opinion in the ruling over a section of the Civil Rights Act that bars employment discrimination against race, religion, national origin, and sex. At question was the definition of sex and whether it applied to millions of gay and transgender workers. What's your reaction to the ruling? You can give us a call right now and let us know what your reaction is. Our toll-free number is 866-733-6786. That number again for your calls, 866-733-6786. And you can also get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email any questions or comments you might have to forum at kqed.org. Joining us now to discuss the decision is Shannon Minter, lead attorney with the National Center for Lesbian Rights. And welcome to the program. Good morning. Good morning, Michael. Glad to have you aboard. Also glad to have Margaret Russell back with us, professor of law at Santa Clara University School of Law. Good morning, Margaret. Good morning. Welcome to both of you. And Shannon Mintner, let me begin with you. This is a major victory, I know, for LGBT. It's a landmark ruling. And essentially, let's talk about what it does. Uh, federal law now protects LGBT workers. We're talking about millions of workers from discrimination. To overstate the positive impact of, of this decision for LGBTQ workers. I mean, this means that finally, after all this time and, and five years after securing a nationwide marriage equality, that LGBTQ people now have nationwide protection, federal protection against employment discrimination. This is major, and as you have said, and it's also a defeat for the Trump administration because they argue that Title VII didn't extend to gender identity or sexual orientation. This is a real body blow to the Trump administration's just relentless attacks on LGBTQ people. Yes, I mean, it is a very uh, stern rebuke, one might say, to the legal theories that the Trump administration has been relying on. Not only in the Title VII case, but in healthcare, education, housing, and it's extraordinary that that rebuke came from one of the most highly regarded conservative justices, you know, probably in our in in contemporary history, and that is uh, uh, Justice Gorsuch, who wrote the opinion today. I mean, you could not find someone who is has more credibility or is um, you know held in higher esteem by the conservative legal movement than Justice Gorsuch. And the fact that that comes from him just, I mean, that that says so much. I mean, th this is a huge, huge just game changer in terms of the national legal landscape for our community. Yeah, I'd like to know, uh, Margaret Russell, what your thoughts are about the majority opinion being written by Neil Gorsuch. That is quite significant, isn't it? It's very significant. And it, it first, let me um, just say that this is 
a great victory. It really is an incredible day. And when I first heard that Gorsuch was uh, had authored the the main opinion, I thought, is he? What happened? <laughs> As many listeners think. But now that I've looked through his approach, it's actually very interesting because unlike Anthony Kennedy's opinions uh, interpreting the Equal Protection Clause of the U.S. Constitution, this is Gorsuch and the others in the majority very methodically going through canons of statutory analysis, because this is a statute, and knocking down the dissent's arguments one by one, very, very methodically and logically. So here's why I think that makes a difference, and um, this is for good and perhaps for ill. For good is that, uh, as the other guest said, people who are not uh, LGBTI rights people um, will read this opinion and it will have enormous impact on them, I hope and I think, because it is about reading a statute and sticking to the law as it was written in 1964. That's what Gorsuch is talking about. I think the downside is that unlike Anthony Kennedy's more empathic and soaring rhetoric about the U.S. Constitution, it is not Gorsuch saying that he he deeply understands and supports LGBT rights. He's really interpreting this statute on behalf of the majority. I would say Gorsuch and Roberts um, are, are much more inclined to this approach, and it was probably a concession to them that the other more liberal justices said, look, if you want to take this approach, it certainly makes sense. So statutory interpretation as opposed to constitutional law is a tectonic shift in some ways. Yes. So, so let me explain what I mean. So if you look at the major points of the majority opinion, it does not say, talk about uh, the humanity, the, the equality, uh, the past discrimination against LGBTI people. So in that sense, uh, it is to me personally a disappointment, but here's what counts about interpreting a statute of civil rights that the entire centerpiece of this case, of these three cases, was language in Title VII that talked about discrimination on account of sex and whether or not that could include transgender and LGBTI people generally in the 1964 interpretation of the word sex. And the majority here said clearly yes, because this is a form of sex discrimination and that no speculation about how limited it might have been in 1964 really negates that fact. So that is that is a tectonic shift, actually. And again, we're talking about today's Supreme Court ruling that protects gay and transgender people against employment discrimination with Margaret Russell, professor of law at Santa Clara University School of Law, and Shannon Minter, lead attorney with the National Center for Lesbian Rights. If you have some thoughts about this or some feelings about this, we do want to hear from you. And if you have questions about it as well, we want to hear from you. And you can join us now, and we invite you to do that at our toll-free number. And please feel free to do that. The number to call, 866-733-6786. If you want to weigh in, this is a half-hour segment. Now would be the time to call us. Again, the number to call, 866-733-6786, or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or email us, forum at kqed.org. Go back, Shannon Minter, to you and a little bit of uh, 
well, the history of this, this was mainly sort of highlighted as Bostock versus Clayton County in the six to three decision, which was a decision that goes back to 2013, the firing of a, uh, Gerald Bostock, who was a child welfare coordinator when he joined a, uh, a gay softball league and said, essentially, I'm gay, uh, gay recreational softball league. But there was also a, a case that we've talked about before on forum uh, of Donald Zarkla, which comes into this too, uh, in Michigan, I guess it was. He's a skydiving coach, uh, and he strapped a woman in. He said, I'm 100% gay, and uh, as a result, he was fired. So we have a couple of cases here, and then uh, we also have a funeral director case. Uh, talk about the background of it, actually the history that brought this to the Supreme Court. I sure will, and you know, that's such an interesting point, a related point that Professor Russell just made, that there's not a lot of... Uh, discussion, in fact, no discussion in the in the decision about the history of discrimination against LGBTQ people, or not a lot of the more sort of um, emotionally laden language that we saw from Justice Kennedy in the marriage equality decision. But I will say something that struck me as like hugely significant. In the one paragraph where the court does talk about Amy Stevens, and that's the case you're asking me about, Michael, uh, they speak of her with such tremendous, understated, but but you can't miss it, empathy and respect and unhesitatingly and unqualifiedly refer to her as a woman. And that is a remarkable moment in our nation's uh, constitutional or, or sorry, Supreme Court jurisprudence. So, yeah, Amy, Amy worked. Amy Stevens um, presented as a man for six years. Right. And then came out as a transgender woman. Yes, exactly. Yes, she she was born male, lived her life, most of her life as male, was working as a man at a small funeral home in a you know relatively small, very conservative town in Indiana, told her boss that who she'd worked with for years, that after a lot of internal struggling, uh, she just she could no longer, you know, hide the fact that she's transgender. She's a transgender woman and that she would you know, be coming to work, uh, living as a woman. And that was it. You know, he um, he promptly fired her after all her years of, of service. And that's how her case reached the court. You know, she did bring a Title VII case and uh, you know, claimed uh, rightly, as it turned out, that, that, that firing someone just for being transgender, for, you know, changing their sex, um, you know, going from working as a man to working at, and living as a woman, that what else is that but sex discrimination? And the court, the court agreed. But just as important, I will just say, just as important as agreeing with her legal theory, the fact that this court, a very conservative court, referred to Amy as a woman, as she, no hesitation, and talked about her decision to transition very sympathetically. That should send a huge signal to our, not you know, our whole country and to uh, other federal courts, the lower federal courts. And I sure yeah. hope they receive that message. Yeah, that's a remarkable uh, shift. And Amy Stevens died earlier this year, but the case, and the same with the uh, uh, Donald Zarkla, uh, who strapped the woman in and said, I'm 100% gay. Uh, we should also mention the funeral home director uh, said the firing was done because of the anticipated reaction of families that would be burying their their uh, loved ones uh, to having someone go through a sex operation change. Uh, we may want to uh, actually ask you, if I could, Margaret Russell, about the six to three split. What does it say uh, about other justices? I mean, beyond Neil Gorsuch. Well, I think the, the surprises in the majority 
were certainly Neil Gorsuch and Chief Justice Roberts. Um, the others, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Stephen Breyer, Sonia Sotomayor, and Elena Kagan, uh, were not surprises in, in joining in the majority. So to me, this means that Gorsuch and Roberts, and again, um, I, you know, I agree that it is a great victory to, to honor Amy Stevens' self-identification and voice, but I do see the almost, it's hyper-focus hyper on the logic of interpreting statutes in Title VII as an approach that Gorsuch and Roberts would agree with and would generally apply. So in that sense, it's not a surprise. And it's interesting because I almost read that approach as a rebuke, and sometimes it is a rebuke, to what they consider to be the illogical dissents of elite Samuel Alito, Clarence Thomas, and Kavanaugh. Several times this opinion references the dissent and explains why it is illogical. And I think that is actually in cons the conservative justices world, a very significant development that they are rebuking their fellow conservatives for not following the logic of the law. Well, I'm going to read a tweet that sort of ties in with what you just said in a way, Margaret. Uh, listener writes, finally, some good news. It's a shame. It took until 2020 for this to happen, but it shows that progress will come no matter how or who tries to stop it, equality and justice for all. And another listener, Holly, writes, how might this ruling help with winning similar protections for transgender people in housing and public accommodations? I'm going to go to that question with you, if I may, Shannon Minter. Uh, yes, you bet. Well, Look, the, the great news for transgender people and for lesbian, gay, and bisexual people, too, is that the Supreme Court uh, strongly tends to interpret all federal sex discrimination statutes the same way. So this is huge. I mean, it is, it's a victory in the employment context, but it is sure difficult to see how the court would reach any different conclusion under any other federal sex discrimination statute so that includes the Fair Housing Act, which prohibits discrimination based on sex. It certainly includes Title IX, which prohibits sex discrimination in education. You know, there's some other there's a federal law that prohibits sex discrimination credit. Oh, and, and the you know, in some ways, perhaps the biggest one for transgender people is the Affordable Care Act, which prohibits sex discrimination in health care. And just uh, yesterday, the Trump administration made very clear its position in a new federal rule that the Affordable Care Act, in its view, does not protect transgender people. It's stripped away or tried to strip away protections that have been on the books uh, under a regulation uh, interpreting the ACA for 10 years. I think um, th th that rule, that what the Trump administration did yesterday in trying to deny uh, health care protections to transgender people, the ground has been completely cut out from beneath them by this decision today. So I think the future looks very, very bright for transgender people under other federal sex discrimination laws. Since you mentioned the Affordable Care Act, uh, Shannon Minter, and let me go to you on this, Margaret Russell. Uh, many of us were struck by um, Chief Justice Roberts taking the position he did on so-called Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act. Uh, and in many analyses, it suggested that Perhaps he wanted to play a more centrist role as far as the court's future is concerned, despite the conservative majority. We may be seeing something along those lines with this ruling. Do you think that is uh, the leadership of uh, 
Chief Roberts at least trying to move the court toward a more center position? Well, certainly that is the impact. Uh, I, again, I think the, the airtight focus on logic and analysis of the statute is my main takeaway from this. Although the significance, of course, you know, broadly is, is enormous and transformational. Um, but, but it is true that Chief Justice Roberts uh, likes to play a role um, to conserve the legitimacy of the court, which in many people's eyes, frankly, is in question. And so this would certainly fall within that uh, and a question group from of Alicia, cases. Uh, excuse me, I was just going to follow up with a question from a listener named Julian who says, what do you think about Gorsuch's attempt to a religious freedoms exemption? Margaret? I think that is a larger problematic issue. Um, religious freedom and religious liberty, of course, enormously important in their constitutional rights. But we have seen other cases in which people have tried to use uh, religious free freedom as a way of taking away other people's individual liberties. And in this case, there is a focus on the protection of Title VII for the individual. So I think a religious freedom exemption must be very narrowly construed. Agree with that, China Minter? Yeah, uh, I think that um, while today's decision is hugely positive, uh, no question about it, it is a game changer. The big question for future applications of Title VII and other federal anti-discrimination laws is how is this same, very same court that ruled favorably today, are they going to turn right around and create very big loopholes in those anti-discrimination laws in their, by expansively applying, for example, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act? which the Gorsuch opinion did allude to in the decision today. And that, that's the worrisome thing. That's the, the area where we're really going to have to keep a close eye on the court because what they have given today with one hand, they could, you know, they, they possibly could take away with the other in terms of expansively applying that statute and other just doctrines relating to religious liberty. May I add another point, Michael? Yeah, Margaret. Which is that, so Title VII covers, as you know, uh, race, sex, color, ethnicity, religion, etc. And so any talk of an exemption is essentially a per permission to discriminate. And when that has come up with regard to discrimination against women in employment, discrimination against blacks in employment, um, it doesn't wash. You can't say, oh, well, my religion uh, commands me to treat an employee as less than. So I think those will be very closely scrutinized if it tries to apply to LGBT individuals. And we want to bring a caller on, and that's Stacy. Stacy, join us. You're on the air. Good morning. Yeah. Okay. Great. <clears throat> I like you to uh, the uh, two lawyers, uh, the guests to uh, to distinguish, if they could, just briefly uh, between this 1964 that deals mostly with employment, or in this case of what we're talking about, we're talking about employment versus the 1866 Civil Rights uh, Acts there were, in, in one case that's similar to this, is in entering contracts. So 1866 mm -hmm. deals with entering contracts. We just had a case in Supreme Court March 23rd, I think it was Comcast, mm -hmm. Byron Allen, and they, and they use in that, in that case the but-for standard, which is a more stringent standard to meet. Whereas in this 1864 case that we're talking about, 
it's about employment, and they use a motivating factor. It sounds like a motivating factor standard. Could you differentiate the two, the two, two acts and the two types of cases? And 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 really, my bottom line question is: in the end, which one is more important, entering contracts or getting a uh, seeking a job? Uh, economics versus sex. Stacy, thank you for that question. I heard Margaret, your voice coming in here as he was speaking. You want to opine on this? Um, yes, if I understand your question correctly, I think you said that this opinion about Title VII has a narrower, a but-for standard, and and actually the majority opinion explains that it does not have to be just based on sex. And the way that they explained it is that they say if you are making a decision that is based in part on sex, for example, one of the employers in these three cases said, well, it's it's not because of sex, it's because of customer preference. My customers will really be upset. The opinion in this case is that, you know, like the earlier 1800 statute, that it, it is impermissible and that is, this affects the employment contract. Yeah. I mean, we'll go to another, thank that caller, Stacy, and go to Noah next in San Francisco. Noah, join us. You're on the air. Uh, yeah, um, thank you for taking my call. I'm just like really having a hard time um, categorizing this Gorsuch ruling here. Um, is it a consistent with his, you know, his history of interpreting statutory law and is it possible on an ideological level that he's just more afraid of having people out of work than he is of religious uh, freedoms? And like, you know, I mean, is, is he possibly lining up some some ideology for later for a ruling that could go in the opposite direction? I'm just like, I'm very dubious. And I, you know, with all the uh, willingness to be activist judges now, especially well, really, on both sides. No, let me interrupt. I'm sorry, because we got very little time left. I'd like to hear Shannon Minter on this. Uh, Noah's sort of asking for intentions here, or motivations with Gorsuch. You want to take a guess at that, or do you have something to back up your guess, Shannon Minter? <laughs> sure, sure. No, yeah. No, look, so Gorsuch is known for his textualist approach to statutory interpretation that you shouldn't look, you shouldn't pay any attention to what Congress was intending that or or the history or the broad purpose of the statute that you look at the words on the page and if the words on the page lead you to a particular result that's where the court has to go so this was a real test for him of his integrity in terms of applying that approach because if you apply that textualist approach it's impossible really to see how people are not that how lgbtq people would not be protected because you can't as the decision notes you can't even identify a person as gay or transgender without taking their sex into account so you know i have to give gorsuch a lot of credit here you know he came through there was a lot of debate and people were like was well, he gonna is he gonna stick to his guns and apply his textualist theory even if it means that he has to rule in favor of lgbtq people which is going to be very uncomfortable for him because i'm telling you the people that supported him being put on the court are not going to be happy with this decision we'll leave it there thank you shannon mentor thank you margaret russell